What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Just Effort Podcast. I'm Angelo. I'm your host, and I'm excited to bring you our guest today because our guest today is one of the newest coaches we've added on staff, Mr. Marcus Anderson. Marcus is a TEDx speaker. He is a, an author. He runs a very successful podcast, which is awesome. And you know, last but not least, he has served on uh, he has served our country for the u.s military and this guy is a stud so marcus i appreciate you man um thank you for your service we're excited to be here and for everyone who is listening to this right now don't be confused because uh, this conversation just starts off running because um, that's just kind of naturally how Marcus and I talk. Like there's no like lead up to it. It just right off the bat, it gets into a, uh, we just get right into it. So that's why, you know, you'll kind of catch it mid conversation because I actually uh, wasn't ready to hit record right away and we just started talking about some great stuff so i'm like okay can't miss this we better just hit record so it's a very unique conversation i hope you guys enjoy it um it's definitely not the typical podcast structure so this is this is something i know you're going to enjoy stick around because next week we are going to air part two of this talk with Marcus because we wanted to make sure that you guys had time to digest and all that stuff. So part one this week, part two next week. Enjoy because this is going to be a great one. Have a great Friday, guys. Because we take a really good hard look at where we are. Over here is where we want to be. And then that gap is where we're trying to go. That's it. Mm. And between us and that gap is excuses, BS, stuff that we allow to stay in our way. And the minute you stop buying those excuses and the minute you stop perpetuating those ideas, that's when this gap gets smaller and then you get closer to it. And that's what it has to do. The, uh, I was talking to Angela last week. Um, I have Tim, I'm sorry, I have a uh, Nick Norris on my podcast. It just came out this week. Nick Norris was on Tim Ferriss's podcast three weeks ago, but because I saw the opportunity, I connect to him as quick as I can interact with him. We immediately have a rapport. We're both very empathetic and I get him on the phone. And so I rearrange all of my podcasts to get him on there to where he's the very next one that comes out because one, I want to maintain, I want to maintain his momentum from Tim Ferriss. So I serve him Two, That allows me to potentially get some exposure to Tim Ferriss's group to be on Tim Ferriss's radar for future endeavors potentially as well. And then three, I get to expound on what he was talking about because while Tim Ferriss was able to interview him masterfully for an hour and a half, there were like all these nuggets that I wanted to dive into and I wanted to find out more about. And that's where it's important. So um, that, that's what it comes down to. If I would have waited and said, I'm going to do it tomorrow, or I'm going to see if I can get a hold of him later. It's not going to happen. It You have to make it happen as quickly as you can. So I'm glad that, uh, you guys are really making things happen and I'm very proud of the direction we're going, Angela. This is going to be huge. It was an honor for, for you to join this movement and for you to believe in what we're doing. And I, I tell Renata all the time, I'm thankful for her, like, because she's allowed me to find that visionary role for the longest time. I've been the integrator and like, I tell her all the time, she's probably like, dude, you need to stop repeating this, man. But, <laughs> but it's, it's like, She's allowed me to step out and dream. And it's like, I have that freedom and I have that comfort and I'm in what I do best. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, we're functioning at a different level. 
That's well, that's absolutely it. And just like we talked about that last coaching call, your job as the leader is to see the vision, to maintain the vision, to build the team, to set that team up to succeed, and then to move all hands on deck in that direction. It, and again, the de- decisions that we make when we're in the heat of battle or when we're in the fray are usually compromised at best. So being able to step outside of that and having them either be able to take a piece of that to allow you the opportunity to really look at what's important and really look where you want to go as opposed to thinking about, I just have to get through Monday, through Tuesday, through Wednesday, through this call. That's hard for us to really look in the future if we're only looking at what's directly in front of us. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad that you're, you're doing that because that's a sign of a, a good leader. That's an indication that you're on the right track. Thank you. Thank you. And, and before we got into that, you had mentioned, you know, uh, adjusting and taking action right away, right? And that's something we talk about RT all the time is speed of implementation, right? Yes. A lot of people will hesitate, like, oh, I want to start a podcast. I want to start a business. And, but it's like, we keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And I know like this is totally like an untraditional way to start a podcast episode, but I love how we just hit the ground running. Like we oh, just yeah. picked up and went off. And, and you know, in a moment I want to, we're just kind of doing this with structure, but at the same time without, but in a moment, I want to give you some time to share your story. But while we're here, how important is it to take action right away versus gathering Intel, gathering details before you move forward on something on a project? In the military, they call it violence of action. And it's about being very aggressive and very direct. But before you go into anything, most of the time you want to try to get as much Intel as you can. So, um, there's, there's two ends of the spectrum. There's some people that will be in analysis paralysis where they're continually trying to find the best way, the most current news, the, the biggest trend that just happened this morning or whatever's trending on whatever. And that's too much because now you don't act. There's other people that are like, I'm just going to push forward. And if you just go through blindly, not knowing what you want to do, you're going to waste a lot of time and effort. And the danger of that is that enthusiasm will burn you out. So you have to find that medium. And what happens is it's very, people call it procrastination, but they're actually being intellectually lazy because it takes more time to sit there and ask those hard questions and figure out what do I want to give? What do I have to say that's worthwhile? Who is my audience? How do I serve them? What do I want them to feel? What action do I want them to take after that? If you do those five questions, that could take you an entire week if you're really, really honest. But most people don't want to do that. Most people say, I want to sound like this podcast or I want to look like this person. So I'm going to imitate that. And all you do is become a bad imitation of that person and you're no longer who you are. So by asking those five questions, just like any coaching, it's about that self-examination and doing the work to figure out, okay, this is what I think I really bring to the table. And for a lot of people, it's a Venn diagram. It's like all these circles that interlace. So you may have a military background. You may have a nutrition background. You may have a guitar playing background. And then if you overlap them, there will be some area that is uniquely yours. And that's the area that you really have something to offer to. And I know that nothing can be completely original. There is no emotion or thought that you or I or, or anyone in this life have ever had that has not been felt by people for millions of years. However, Nothing I say will be original, but I will say it in an original way. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal is to find out what is original for Renata, for Angelo, for, for Marcus, and to say it in that way, because then that will give you the emotion, that will give you the intention, that will give you the authenticity that people will connect to. Because like Ed Miles told us millions of times, people don't believe what you're saying 
they believe if you believe what you're saying. And the only way you can do that is by saying what is truly truth for you. So that's what you want to do if you're doing a podcast or any, any kind of endeavor. Ask yourself what that truth is and use that as your litmus test. Use that as a compass. Use that as your why. And you will never fall off even in the, under the pressure of day-to-day business. So then in your opinion, Marcus, based upon all the people that you've interacted with, what, what are the reasons why people hold back from answering those hard questions? I, I, I was saying before that it's, uh, it's a form of intellectual procrastination, but it's also, and I don't mean this to be harsh, but it's, it's cowardice. Mm. The reason why people don't go forward with a diet is because they're afraid that they may fail. They, they fear that. The reason why they don't work out is because they're afraid they may be injured or they're afraid that they may want to quit that. They have to understand that there is risk in all that we do. There is risk in just sitting here talking today. So you have to decide what risk are you willing to take? Are you willing to take a risk, a risk that's really going to be worthy of the risk? Or are you going to just kind of sit there and say, uh, you know, I'm just going to sit here and I'll do it tomorrow. I talk about this when I, when I keynote and I don't mean it to be mean, but I want to get people's attention. The reality is for everybody that's listening to our voices right now, there will be a time in your life when you will no longer be able to chase after your greatest dreams and aspirations. And that reality is it may, that time may be much closer than you think. So I'm not trying to say you may die. I'm not trying to say you may be paralyzed like I was, but what I am saying is the opportunities and the intentions that you have at 25 will not be the same as when you're 30, as when you're 35, as when you're 40, as when you're 45, et cetera. So there may be other things that come into your life where you may think I want to start a business now, but you feel like you have a lot of time. And then maybe you get married, maybe you have kids, maybe the, the current job you have has more expectations and more demands. So all this time that you took for granted, is no longer there. So for all of us, the reality is without a deadline, time means nothing. So I would challenge you to, to give yourself a deadline, to launch whatever that is, to create whatever it is, to, to commit to whatever that is. And by having these small micro deadlines by saying, okay, by tomorrow, I'm going to have three ideas of what I want to talk about in my podcast. I, if I'm writing a book, I want to figure out what I want to talk about and what value I truly bring. And then by just doing that work, a lot of the questions that people are stuck on right now, the answers that they are looking for are found within the adversity of the hardship of starting the work in the process. People will ask, well, you know, do I do deadlifts like that? If you're correct, if your form is correct, that's great. But maybe if you have an injury, deadlifts aren't great for you. Maybe squats aren't great for you. Does that mean you don't work out? Does that mean you don't do something for your legs? Of course not. You go to people like like us that can give you alternatives, alternative ideas that can give you other ways to get to that path. Miyamoto Musashi says that there are many paths to the top of the mountain, but we have to be willing to go whatever path that may take. And sometimes you get almost to the top and that path is stuck and you have to turn around. The idea is not to give up when you fight, when you hit that roadblock, it's to be able to come back, backtrack and keep moving forward. You don't have to be the best. You just have to be the last. You just have to be the last one willing to continue to move forward. And if you do that, that will help you stand above everybody else in your category or whatever your competition is. Oh, now that is the first time I ever heard that. You don't have to be the best. You just have to be the last. And I, I, I just like, it's got, it's got, it's got me rattled to be honest. Uh, I, I'm thinking about like the days in the Academy when we're doing these long runs and you know, I'm like, 
like uh, you know i may start off like kind of in, in the front but i'm like no nah, man I'm gonna, I'm, i don't want to set the pace so i'll kind of tone myself down i'll be in the middle of the pack I will, at least i'm faster than that guy back there <laughs> you know, like That's i'm it. in the middle i want to keep a you know under the radar type look so that's that's what that did for me. That that line just throughout there is just creating that emotion in, in me. And um, well, and that's what it is because there's so many times where we've seen people that you'll see that person that's willing to fall down, that's willing to fail, that's willing to try one more time. And even if they're horrible, they're still beating all the people that aren't even trying. So there have been times when I've seen people doing all kinds of things, and I'm thinking I'm better than that person. I could be doing that right now. Well, actually, I'm not better than that person or I'm not better at that skill set than they are because I didn't have the guts to commit to try to do it in the first place. Therefore, even if they're doing it and they're just stumbling across the finish line, they're still finishing. And that's better than a person who doesn't even get on the blocks in the first place. So just understand that you just have to keep going. It's just like a ruck march or just like a run or just like anything else. The minute that you stop to hesitate is the minute that you are closer to giving up. So don't allow yourself that opportunity. Just keep moving forward. And again, if you know where you want to go in the first place, you will continually move towards that. But without that, it's easy to get stuck in it and you get mired up in that emotion or that fear or that confusion. So that's why it's important to know what you want from the very beginning. I love that. I love that. And I want to continue on this, but for, for those that haven't heard your story or don't know anything about you, uh, I want to give them an opportunity to hear that. And I, I love where we're at because, you, you know, I know you've been interviewed hundreds and thousands of times. I mean, you're, you're a published author. Uh, you, you gave an awesome speech on TEDx, which I encourage everyone, we'll post the links at the end of this uh, to listen to later on. But I want to give them an opportunity to kind of hear your story. Um, right now. Well, thank you. And I, I appreciate that. That's with my TEDx talk. I talk a little bit about it with my, my book, the gift of adversity. I talk about it, but to give everybody just a, a snapshot in 2012, when I was preparing to deploy with the infantry, I was paralyzed from the neck down while we were preparing to deploy and the disc ruptured in my neck and I wasn't able to move from C5 down. So that's the same vertebral level where Christopher Reeve was paralyzed. So I died on the operating table twice when they were trying to operate on me. So when I wake up in the ICU, they say, the good news is you're alive. The bad news is this is what you're left with. And we don't want you to even have any hopes of walking again, because we know that that's going to put you into a big spiral of depression, but this is what your, your life is now. So start trying to wrap your mind around that. Um, my, my world went sideways as I say in the talk, I went in like a heartbeat. I went from preparing for war on the battlefield to a war within my own body and mind. I went through uh, denial, of course, because I was a soldier. And before I got into the military, I thought that I was pushing myself. But when I got into the military and really pushed myself, I was achieving levels of, of things that I never thought even possible. It was like I was watching myself as a, as a character in like a video game. Mm. But at the same time, I went from that very high level of physicality as a soldier to the point where I was, couldn't even take care of myself. So that was a huge slap in the face. So I thought that, well, if I can overcome this death thing, you know, I can, I can walk again. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. But after a few days, I realized that that was something that I couldn't just push away. And I went into very deep depression. I was literally suicidal. For me, I couldn't even act on it. So to, to be 
wrestling with that suicidal idea and still not being able to even do that, I felt completely helpless. I felt like a victim. And that's when I really started doing the deep soul searching to figure out, okay, what do I do with my life now? Because I, I was 40 years old at that, at that point, broke, divorced, bedridden, because I had given everything in my life to the military. I joined the military at a, at a late age, but I was doing that as a way to really kind of reinvent myself. And I had done a, a lot. So even within that adversity, I learned a lot about myself, but I went through just three months of just complete and total darkness where I was angry at everyone around me. But the person I was the most mad at was myself because as we had talked about before, I had hesitated. I had procrastinated. I had waited for things to happen in my life. And I thought that I'll just do it tomorrow because up until that point, I always had it tomorrow. And that's why I kind of give that, that advice at the beginning of our conversation where what we take for granted now, people say you don't know what you got till it's gone, but that's not true. The reality is you know what you've got, but you just assume that you will always have it. So in this life, nothing can be assumed. Nothing can be taken for granted. All we have is this moment. So whether it be a loved one that gets sick, whether it be a job, whether it be uh, any, anything, there's a lot of things that can happen in life quickly. So that's why I encourage people to push forward, to not hesitate, to not compromise, and to take action on the things that mean the most of them in their lives because that may be not only the most important thing that they do, but it may be the last opportunity to make that happen. So how did you overcome the paralysis? This is a really interesting point that I think that a lot of people will find fascinating. Yeah, for me, um, I, I was stuck on me. I was mad at everyone and I, I kept thinking, saying, why did this happen to me? And I'm a good person, you know, blah, 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 blah. So Viktor Frankl talks about this and he says that between an action and and reaction, basically there is this gap. And within that gap is where we live and that's when we make a decision. So there is an event, there is our perception of what that means and then there's the emotion that comes from that. So my event, this paralysis, I was angry about, obviously. And I've been studying philosophy and Zen and like Taoism and Stoicism since I was a kid. And all those things would come back to me in my mind, but they all seem like a bunch of uh, just flowery crap because it sounds really pretty when you're not in it. But when you're in the fray, it's different because when it happens to us, we want to be the exception. We don't want it to be ours. We want it to be something where it's easy to be philosophical about somebody else's headache as it were. But when it's our own, we want to be different. We want to be the exception. So what I did was I started doing all these kind of ideas and thought, well, okay, is there anyone in the world that was able to benefit from my injury? And I realized when I did a lot of deep soul searching, well, actually, if I'd have been overseas when this happened, that means I would have compromised my team. I'm going to compromise my squad as well. That means that the Chinook that would have had to fly in to get me would have been put in danger as well. And when I did that and I took myself out of the equation and didn't make it about me, I started seeing that there were over a dozen other people whose lives would have been put in harm's way had I faced this injury overseas. And for the first time in three months, I, I actually, I said it, I said, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. And I tried to look around the room when I said it because I couldn't believe that I was actually uttering those words. 
So what happened for me was I just tried to find some sort of lesson, something to be grateful for in that. And once I had that very cornerstone of gratitude, because once I was grateful for nobody else being hurt, I was able to be grateful for the bed that I was lying in that I may never get out of. I was able to be grateful for the people that were surrounding me. And once I did that, a week after I started having that like really, truly unconditional, radical gratitude, I started getting a little bit of feeling back into my hand. And it wasn't much, but it was something. And that gratitude gave me hope. That hope gave me something to work towards. And it wasn't a direct upward line where all of a sudden, hey, you know, next week you're walking. I had a lot of ups and downs. But a year of physical therapy and occupational therapy and just trying to get to that next point is what allowed me to eventually get to a place where I could be the person that I am now. And in a lot of ways, I'm not 100%. I still have numbness from the middle of my forearms to my hands and the middle of my shins to my feet. It's called neuropathy. But compared to where I was, I'm a lot better. And here's the, the weird part for some people. For me, I am still grateful for that numbness in my hands because it reminds me of where I came from. So by being tethered to that adversity, it keeps me ever presently like in mind of what I'm come from and where I've gone. So being able to hold this, this bottle of water while it doesn't feel as good as it did, you know, since sensory wise is before I got hurt, just being able to do it to me is, is an opportunity and it's a miracle. So that's, that's what allowed me to move forward with that. And when I lost sight of that, there was a part where I had arrogance where I thought, wow, see, I knew I could do it. When I did that, I actually lost all of the, went right back to square one. I lost all of the capacity that I had. And it took me a week of kind of going back to that, that radical gratitude to get me back to where I, I, I could actually start moving stuff again. So I've just lived my life like that ever since then. So like Angela was talking before, when I got out, there was a part of hesitation. When I got, phys when I got medically retired, there was a part that said, you know, because I had this truth now, it was undeniable. I have to go out and share this with people in whatever way that I can, whether it be speaking, whether it be as an author, whether it be as a podcast, whatever, I have to do something. But there was hesitation in that for me. But the thing that made me press forward was that knowledge that, you know what, I, I don't know how much time I have. I don't know how many days I have to be able to make impact on people. So by having that deadline, that's what made me move forward and knowing how fragile our lives are. So that's what has pushed me every day. You, you mentioned hesitation. If you don't mind me asking, what was it that you think caused that hesitation? For me to actually start doing that? Yes. Well, for me, it was because here's, here's what happens. We face adversity. And then as humans, we want to put as much distance between us and that hardship as we can. Mm. That's our normal reaction, right? And the further we get away from it, we start forgetting how hard it was or the lesson to be learned in it. But for me, because I was stuck in it for three months, it made me sit there and with it and wallow in it and learn from it. But once I was physically recovered, I wanted to get away from that. And I want to just kind of forget about that part of my life and move on. And it would have been easier for me to go into say, I had a chiropractic background. I was almost, I almost had my doctorate in chiropractic. I was a year and a half away. So I looked at all my, my, my credits and I was going to go into um, medical dosimetry. I was going to work with radiation therapy. I was going to do that and, you know, just be in a hospital for the rest of my life and, you know, make decent money. But I realized that 
I wouldn't be doing what I needed to do. And I also realized that I probably wouldn't be helping as many people as I could. So going back to the martial arts was my first love and that allowed me to kind of get my feet back under me as it were. And that's where I started getting like my first coaching clients and my first speaking engagements came from those networks. And then the hesitation came because I didn't know if, um, if I could do it, I was scared. What if I tell my story and nobody, it doesn't resonate with anybody or nobody believes it or nobody thinks it's impressive enough to actually make, make them motivated to start changing their lives. And so we all have imposter syndrome in some of the things that we do. The first client you have as a coach, as a trainer, um, any of those things, you, you think to yourself, wow, you know, can I really do this? But then as I would teach a martial art class or as I would speak in front of like a small group of like 100 people at like a chamber, I would see the reaction. I would see the resonance. I would see the emotion that it would impact them with. And then I realized, yeah, there's, there is something to this. I need to tell more people about this. And as I was telling Angela before, there was a woman that waited around for me to get done speaking at one of my events. And she came up to me afterwards and she was an older woman and she says, I want to buy your book. I don't have a book. And she seemed almost like she was scolding me. She's like, how can you not have a book? And she tells me, she says, listen, my granddaughter's going through a really bad hardship right now. I would love to give her this message and I can't tell her the way you told it. So you need a book. How, how, why do you not have a book? Like it was irresponsible. So that was my indication that I needed to do that. And then from the book came the opportunity to speak more from the middle of the book is when I was offered the opportunity for the TEDx talk. So the reality is just by being committed and going forth with all that you have at that time, that's what helps you go. So again, just like we said before, you don't have to be first. You just have to be lot. You have to be willing to continue to move forward to be the last one standing. So just take the first step, take that first initiative, jump forward with it. And that commitment is what will allow you to really put everything forward. Because if you go through it half-heartedly, there's always a part of you that will say, well, I can quit whenever I want. You can't think like that. You, and if you, the way I think about it when I speak, if you're a person who speaks in front of people and you get nervous, here's a tip. The reason why you're nervous is because you think it's about you. But if you get up on stage and they hand you a microphone and there's 3,000 people and they're recording a TEDx talk, if you think it's about you, you're not going to be able to perform very well. But if you say, I'm a vessel and I'm simply trying to convey message to these people and I'm trying to give them something that will help them, I'm trying to teach. If you come from that standpoint, you will never be nervous or not nearly as nervous because you understand it's not about you. It's about those people that you're trying to serve. If you do that, you won't worry about flubbing your lines or about getting stuck or going off on a tangent before you come back to your main point because you will have everything that you need because you're trying to serve them with the right mentality. If you're trying to make it about you and your ego or you're trying to sell something, people will smell that from a mile away. Five or 10 years ago, you might've been able to get away from that because people weren't nearly as savvy. But today, the people that you want attracted to you are the people that really resonate with what you talk about from an authentic standpoint. And if you try to use authenticity as a tactic, people will smell that from a mile away or they will eventually find it out because you won't be able to maintain that authenticity because it's an act. So just start off and be you, give what you can, have a vision of where you want to go and people will follow you, follow you and then you lead that direction and you listen to them on the, on the path and you'll get there. That's it. And this actually is segues perf perfectly because you had mentioned that because of martial arts, you are coaching clients and all that stuff. How does this not make it about me 
correlate into business and entrepreneurship and making that impact or whatever. That's what it is. It's so when I'm coaching somebody, I'm coaching that CEO or that executive, or I'm coaching their team or their company. So I look at them and I'm looking at what do I see that they don't, what do I bring to the table that they don't understand? What is not being said that should be said and what is being said that nobody's hearing. And I don't mean that to sound like, you know, like a Chinese fortune cookie double speak, but that's the reality because there's a lot of, there's a lot of elephants in a room when it comes to business. And so there's like a hierarchy. The CEO is up here. The C-suite executives are below. There's middle management. There's people on the ground. The C-suite executives are pretty happy where they're at. They're usually making money or they're uh, kissing up to the CEO to get promoted, right? That's, that's what people don't talk about. Um, the people in middle management are like sergeants in the military. They're doing all the work. There's the people on the ground that are doing the hard work. So there's a separation. There's no connection there. So my job is I go in there and I, if I'm coaching that CEO, it's about business, but it's also about their personal development because you can't have a great thriving business without that development. And even if your business is thriving right now, imagine how much more exponentially it could increase if you could learn to listen to your people. If you could learn to lead with empathy. If you could learn to breed that trust among everyone in your group. Because when you have all that in your, your core beliefs, and when you have that inside your actual company, that will propagate. But if you propagate this idea of doggy dog mentality, guess what? You're going to have a cutthroat mentality. You're going to have a high turnover. You may have people that make some money in the short term, but it'll be in small burst at best. So you have to understand that this is in for the long haul and understand that the way that you live your life is the way that everybody around you in your business is going to decide to live their life. So you have to be able to dictate that pace. And uh, there's a lot of pressure in leadership. And that's why it's important to be human because if you can come to them and you're in the middle of a meeting and you say before the meeting, maybe you had some bad news or maybe you're just didn't get a lot of sleep or there's a lot of pressure. If you could tell them before that and say, listen, guys, uh, if I'm a little bit short with you guys today, I've got a lot on my plate. I just want you to understand that. Maybe give me a little bit of space today. So you don't have to like sob in front of them and cry and tell them how bad your life is. But if you can give them that, that opportunity to give you space, now we have communication and now we have trust. And now if you go and talk to that person in a few weeks and maybe they're having the same problem, they say, you know what, Marcus, um, there's a lot going on right now. And if you want to use that as an opportunity to talk to them, you can. Uh, if you feel that it's not a safe place or a safe time to do that, that's understandable as well. But just that communication will build a huge amount of trust, empathy, respect, loyalty. Um, on that Nick Norris interview I talked about, he says that everything that he does now defaults down to love. But he says that love manifests itself and presents itself in different ways. So to a guy in the military, that love will, re, will look like trust, will look like respect. For another person, that love may look like empathy, may look like a hug when they're crying, may look like an opportunity to just let them vent. So it all defaults down to that. It just depends on how you let it present. And for some people, if it's not there in the first place, it's impossible to have trust, to have respect, to have empathy to have those things unless you have that as, as the initial part of it. So that, that's what's so powerful about that. And that's why it makes a lot of sense. And if you can even implement a little bit of that in anything that you're doing, it, if you're at the very top of the company, it'll trickle down. But if you're in the company, it will trickle up and it will breed that around the people around you. So if you can get that in your team, it'll trickle up, it'll trickle down, it'll trickle sideways. It'll go to your customer. It'll be 
in the product that you create and the service you provide as well. Your customer will feel that they'll want that as well. And they will continue to breed that. They'll tell other people about you. They'll come back and give you more business. And now everybody wins. That's the idea.